This is Aaron Golub, host of the Blind Ambition Podcast. We'll be bringing you world-class leaders, entrepreneurs, and athletes, people who have overcome obstacles and used their ambition to create enormous success in their lives. If you enjoy this podcast, if you get anything out of it, the only thing I'll ever ask is that you subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's your host, Aaron Gall. This week, I'm joined by someone who I'm really excited to bring you guys, Anthony Trucks. Anthony and I have really been trying to get this going for a little while now. I'm super excited to have him on today. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing well, man. I appreciate you having me on, seriously. Oh, of course. And uh, I know we were talking about this a little before, but you have done some amazing things in the world of speaking, the world of athletics, the world of you know coaching, and, and are going to continue to grow and you know, I'm hoping that I follow in your footsteps and, and can be where you are down the line. Thank you, man. I just hope you get to be whoever you are at a high level too, because because uh, I can't be you and you can't be me. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, we obviously had you on my podcast. I love your heart, your story. Uh, you're 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 one of the real genuine humans. Um, not even just in the industry, just as a genuine human. So yeah, man, I'm to see your your path as well. No, thank you. I appreciate that. But you, know, you have a really interesting and unique story, and. It all goes back to when you're three years old. And can you dive into that a little bit, your, your experience going into foster care, that first memory that you had at three and how that impacted you? Yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, my mom uh, has me and three other kids, right? My three siblings, and she essentially uh, did not want us anymore. So she, she called social services in California, said, please take my kids, essentially. Uh, not obviously in that same exact vernacular, but yeah. um, they came and picked us up and shipped us off. And so... The interesting part is like that was uh, that's the first memory, and really at those times, like those are the those developmental emotional memories that I can I can see and feel. And so, um, the beginning of my life was not feeling like I mattered, which happens for people, but usually not that young, right? Usually it's like that's when mom's supposed to love you, dad is there, it's all good and well. I didn't have that, man. I, I was formed kind of through fire by a lot of just crazy survival situations in the foster care system. Uh, and I wasn't even adopted till I was 14. And I was adopted at 14 by a very poor all-white family. It was just a really weird, <laughs> weird upbringing. I was with them for eight years before adoption. But dude, it was just, yeah, my childhood is not one that I would say like uh, anybody should ever have to experience. Although I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, I don't say I like it. It's different, but I appreciate the strength they gave me. It's just like lifting weights. You know, we both played football. You got to lift weights, yeah. but you're strong, right? Yeah. I prefer to be on the field and be strong and be on the, on the field and be weak. And the only way I can be on the field and be strong is because I, I lifted the weight. So that was a, a chance for me to get stronger earlier. Yeah. And, and I know it's, it's similar, but different. And I know I've mentioned this to you before in your podcast, but you know, I appreciate, I'm thankful for my experience being legally blind because it just allowed me to do so many things. And, you know, yeah. do I like being legally blind? No, I don't, I don't enjoy it on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's, it's led to so much and, and it's shaped who I am. Yeah, exactly, man. Different life experiences. And I think it's a cool part about life. It's difference is cool. If it was all the same stuff, it'd be boring all day, right? It's it's fun to exactly. be able to, to go into the world, try new things, you know, have have differences and be able to provide. I here's the thing, you're like me. I like being able to say something from my experience that somebody goes, Wow, I never thought of that. That's so cool. Like I'm like, Yeah, I've been thinking about that for the last 20 years, you know. <laughs> things from life that are valuable and it, it makes you feel of value. 100%. So you know, going back to those days in foster care, first off, were you with your, your siblings when you were in foster care? And then also, what was your experience like? You know, was it talk about the, you know, the, the 
tough areas of being in foster care. Yeah, yeah. So no, we were separated. My very first home, my brother Connor and I, we actually did get to put in the same house. I think my sister did also. But then like after that, we were all separated. My youngest sister got adopted to a family down in uh, Southern California. My other sister went to a family that was actually near my same hometown. My other brother Connor, I don't. He was up in Modesto, I want to say. So we were all spread apart, and we all had our own very fair share of just problems. Um, Portia had the least amount. Portia was actually in a place where like very good family, right? My brother, though, like he was in a house where like foster care was their job. They just, he was a paycheck. A lot, you know, a lot of kids are just a paycheck. And when he aged out, they just moved and left him there. My sister Shamine had some things happen to her. For me, um, and I had a lot of families that were just, just bad, man. One family would put me in a, a chicken coop, like a chicken net in the, in the backyard in Pittsburgh, California. It forced me to chase a chicken around. And if I caught a chicken, I got to eat that night. If not, I don't get any food. One family put me in a shopping cart, I remember, it pushed me down this hill towards moving traffic, like it was crossing, right, like perpendicular. And, and thankfully, I would just go and hit the opposite curb, never got hit by a car, but they kept forcing me to go over and over again. And then one, like, they sat me in front of the house. I remember, like, being forced to lick the bottom of the neighbor kid's shoes, like, until my tongue bled. Like, all these weird, oh, these are just heinous, like, inhuman kind of things. And this is all in... San Francisco Bay Area, you know, just, you know, it's yeah. under nose. And at that time, there's no, there's no cell phones. There's no yeah. video cameras. There's, there's, they, and what happens is most foster kids, we want to go back to our real families, even though they're not good for us. So what we typically do is make a bunch of stories up and try to act as bad as we can in hopes they'll just be like, this kid's crazy and give us back. We don't get the system. And so that, yeah. that was kind of the thing where you just, these are going on. And no matter what I said, it was not believed. Nobody believed it was really going on, right? And the, and the family's like, this kid, you know, he's lying, making things up. So it just kept happening. So that was kind of like the troublesome part, you know? And then I get to my family, which I was with for the, the, my family now, you know, starting at six years old. And and my first foster dad used to beat me, beat my mom, a drunk, you know, just a lot of, a lot of craziness. She eventually divorced him and remarried a good guy. But even him, he's only 12 years older than me. My dad at this time now, he's only 12 years older. So like, it's a weird kind of dynamic of the entire like world I live in. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, man, it's one of those things like those moments are just, they're seared in, you know, they shaped a lot of who I am. And I did for a lot of years, hold a lot of anger, but I found ways to get past it. Have you kept in touch with like your siblings after you got separated? I know it must've been hard as a child, but you know, today. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, we're in, we're in touch today. Uh, my my sister Portia, she lives, I think, down in Southern California still. My brother Connor lives in New Mexico. Shamin lives in Minnesota. So they're all kind of spread out in their own little areas. You know, they're doing their things and they have families and yeah, they're they're uh, yeah, they're living their lives. So we, we weren't in great contact, probably around like you know those like 15, 16 inch area, like that window of time. Uh, when I went to college, we were somewhat in contact, better contact, but not perfect contact. And then we've been in more contact after. Like since, you know, what's called from the age of, I don't know, 27, 28 on, we've been in better contact. You know, it's just, we're older now. We have our own phones. We can call each other. Yeah. But it's interesting because although we're siblings, like I love them. They're my siblings. They're my brothers and my sisters, right? It's like, because we didn't grow up together, still that, it's like, uh, like if you didn't grow up, you don't really have that deep bonded desire yeah. to, you know, so I love them, but it's like, I have, I have connection. Uh, I don't, don't want to call it issues. I have connection with any human being, when you're out of sight, you're out of mind. When yeah. you're around me, I love you. Like, I love you to duck. Hey, come sit next to us, hang out. Yeah. And when you're yeah. around, my focus has always been like on who's here, my wife, my kids, who's around me presently. And so it's just a, it's a thing I can't figure out about, about how I was built yeah. internally through that, that environment. 
No, I get it. I, I completely understand that because the people who you're around the most are just the ones you gravitate to, the ones you spend the most time with. It's not your fault by any means that you, you know, don't spend as much time on your siblings. You don't see them as often. You know, yeah. I, I have a sister who's, you know, lives here in Boston near me. We're extremely close. You know, she, we see each other all the time and I would do anything yeah. in the world for her. And that's because we see each other all the time. We grew up together. I have a half brother who's a lot older than me and yeah. you know, I love him. He's, he's awesome. But you know, we don't, he lives in North Carolina with his family. We don't see each other as much. And so we just, it just, it, it's no different. You know, I love them both and they're both amazing, but it's just, I'm closer with my sister because we grew up together. We spent so much time together. It's just a very different dynamic. Yeah, I totally get it. You, you get it, man. That's awesome. You totally get it for sure. <clears throat> yeah. Talk about, you know, what led you to play football and then eventually, you know, what led you to college? Because I saw something very similar in both of our stories. You know, mm -hmm. if I recall, you know, you weren't the most athletic kid, the, 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 no. the best football player in the story. And neither was I, you know, I was a third string university lineman my sophomore year. And then yeah. I turned things around and I think you had a very similar story. So what, what led you to turn things around and then eventually make it to college in the NFL? Uh, you know what it was? I guess for me, it was this thing where I, I needed something to give me a sense of I mattered. You know, sports for me was this thing when I first started. So I, when I first started, uh, I was not very good. So I tried out for football because at recess, you know, when you're, you know, a kid, like, I want to play football. So you go play football in the recess field. And I was pretty good out there, like, but no helmet, no shoulder pads or anything. But then as soon as I, I got at 14, like, I couldn't play until I was 14 because my mom, in fact, my real mom, she had parental rights. So before they were severed, she had control of what I could or could not do or like what sport I could play. So I got to play nothing. Eventually, I, I got to the point where I get in, I'm adopted and I go play and then I got a helmet and shoulder pads on and I am bad. <laughs> like I'm not good. <laughs> I like the idea of being able to feel free and run around and everything, but I, I yeah. met with the fact every day that I'm not as good as the rest of the people that are you know on my team. Yeah. And so I did what most people do. I gave a little bit of effort. You know, I kind of, you know, I, I did my thing and then I gave it, a, you know, I gave it like the, the good old try. And then I stepped away for a year and I was like, okay, I'm gonna try it again this next year and try the next year. And two years in a row, I was bad. Just really, really bad. And I was met with this thought inside of, you know what? It's just not for me. It feels good, but I'm not supposed to play football. I'm not very good at the game. You know, uh, my adoptive mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So I'm like, you know, my mom is sick. Focus is going there. My older brother went off to the military. I'm just over here. I'm a foster kid. What's a foster kid supposed to do? I'm not supposed to do very much, right? And, and so for me, I got this world where I was just kind of rolling through and just taking the lumps, man. Eventually, I was like, I'm done. I'm going to give up on this football thing and go do something else. And something else was nothing good. It was like to end up getting in trouble pretty much. I was just running, running around, just doing dumb things. I had no drive, no direction in my family. I'm the only one in my family of six in that family adopted. Um, I'm the only one adopted, but I'm the, I'm the only foster care, right? But I'm the only one to graduate from the high school, not GED or, you know, or continuation. And not that anybody's stupid because they're smart, but like it wasn't structured in our house to do school. Nobody was like told, no one checked my homework. My, my mom and dad didn't. You know, nobody took yeah. care of it. So I say, I'll say, I, I, I check out, I'm sitting in the classroom and this girl says something to somebody else where she's talking about a situation I can attest that I can understand what it feels like. And I heard it and I was like, ah, that just sounds bad. And what she said was to somebody else, no idea I'm listening. Well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And it's not at face value, a really powerful statement. 
It's just like a simple thing some girl said to somebody else. But when it becomes your excuse and you hear it out loud, it can unsettle you. And I don't think enough people get that gift of hearing their stupid excuse out loud. Because when you hear it, it's like, well, I can't do it because, you know, X, Y, and Z. And if you say it out loud, it's like, that's a really dumb thing. So for me, I would have to sit there and say, well, the reason I'm unsuccessful is because I was a foster kid. Yeah. Although I had no control over it. Um, I had, you know, people that loved me had adopted me. Like, how am I going to sit there for the rest of my life and, and anchor to that? And just, it really loosened up this, this kind yeah. of thing in yeah. this pit in my stomach. And I was like, I'm going to be great. I made yeah. a choice. I'm gonna be great. So what I did is I went home and I was like, okay, what, what I want to be great at football was a choice. All right. What do great players do? And I started doing those things, man. It, it's, yeah. it's weird because I wasn't good at them at first. My teammates would make fun of me. What are you doing? Trucks? You suck. Why are you even out there doing that? Just go quit already, bro. You, you're garbage. You have butterfingers. You can't tackle nobody. You're weak. All this. And I kept lifting weights and running routes, lifting weights and running routes and lifting weights and all day long, man. I showed up the next year and I was a different animal. There was this, this sense inside that you did not have the right to beat me on any given play. Yeah. I had worked too hard. I had done too much in the dark when you didn't see it. When you were making fun of me, I kept working. When it was hard, I kept working. When you were drinking beers and hanging with your buddies, I was working. I did the work. Therefore, in this field right now, how dare you consider that you get to tackle me? That ball's in the air. If it's coming my direction, to me or not to me, that is my football. You better back out of the way and I'm going to get that ball, right? And that mentality turned into something that, that not only was the game changer, because I, I was probably not much faster than the year before, not much stronger than the year before, but I was meaner. I was hungrier. I was more determined. It was the separator. And, and when I look at the game of football, like that's what made me good. It wasn't just the body, but it was the person I built through building the body. Yeah, dude, that, that resonates with me so much because I think that from my situation of having a disability, so many people use that excuse of like, oh, I'm not good at this, or I can't be great, or I can't do this because I have a disability. And, you know, at face value, it's the same thing of, yes, a disability or being in foster care creates more challenges, but it doesn't have to define your entire life. And I didn't choose to allow it to define my life. I did the same thing that you did. You know, I woke up at 5 a.m. every day. I practiced long snapping before school. I lifted weights every single day after practice. I was working when other people weren't working. And I think that it just, you, you can't allow what you're told or what your situation is to define the rest of your life. Not at all. You got to find ways to build what you want, man. Because the, the, the past was already defined. And usually wasn't defined by us. Somebody else was had a hand in that, you know. And when you start realizing like, wait, so I'm going to continue living. My life's going to go on. And if I want that future point to be better than it is now, I better have some control over it. Yeah. The cool thing is, is yeah, maybe, maybe you don't have the same outcome you want, but you have a better outcome than what we would pretty much plan for you because you've chosen to do something different. And it takes effort, but it's so much better. And that's, that's powerful. So, you know, what eventually, you know, you went to college, you went to Oregon, you played football there, you went yes. to the NFL. What caused you at one point to no longer pursue the NFL? You know, what was the true underlying reason to say, I'm going to take a pivot in, in my direction, uh, in a different direction and, and choose a different path for myself? Yeah, well, the first thing was I tore my shoulder and had to have surgery in my third season. And so physically, I was at this level where, like, I, I really could could not play at the same level I did, right? Because I, I now had two shoulder surgeries. I had low back issues. I had, you know, a, a, a wrist that was bugging me because I'd broken it in high school and just always nagged me. 
So realistically, I had a lot of things physically not in line. And then I got some offers. Like I got an offer from the Buffalo Bills to go sign. And my agent and I had a conversation. He said, listen, they're going to put a waiver on your shoulder, which means that for this contract, you can get that. But if anything happens to your shoulder, you have to pay for yourself. The NFL's not paying for it. Team's not paying for it. You're kind of screwed, which means to say you make, you know, $150,000 this year and you hurt your shoulder in the very last game, you got to take all that money and pay for your shoulder because <laughs> At the end of the day, you, you, if you can't work or do anything when the game is over, you can't pick your kids up and you can't go and, you know, throw a baseball, play around with the catch with a football. Like, is that worth it? And so he's like, so one of two things has to happen. You have to make a decision. You're going to put your family and your, your body at risk and do that. Take this contract or decide it's time to move on. And when I sat back and thought about it, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to spend more time out of the NFL than in the NFL and it wasn't like I was looking at a million dollar contract. We're talking league minimum, which, yeah. you know, it's still, you know, $400,000, but after taxes and after yeah. all the fun stuff, you're looking at a couple hundred grand. And so it's like, man, you know, and do I want to go back to some place where nobody really likes me? Cause even though they're signing you, it's not like, Hey, come start. It's like, Hey, come get out here and show us what you got. Hopefully yeah. we'll keep you. They'll bring guys on exactly. all the time and touch you, you know? So for exactly. me, it's like, all right, it was a, it was a better decision to hang it up and play the game of life. And, <laughs> The crazy part is it's harder. The game, non-football life is harder than the game of football. It's crazy. People don't get it. It's very real, very finite. And it's, it's in football, I know what I got to do. Learn a playbook, make tackles, you know, stay in shape. In yep. life, I don't know what I'm doing from today to tomorrow sometimes, you know, like it is crazy up and down. But, um, but yeah, man, that was the, the thing behind us. Like, all right, it's time to go and live life. And it was hard because the transition out of sports it takes a lot because you lose a lot of yourself, but it was a uh, up and down at this point, man, I'm on the up of the roller coaster, but I went down for some pretty dark bottoms. Yeah. And, you know, why don't you touch on a couple of those dark bottoms and, and what helped you get out of them. And then from there, you know, let's talk about what you're doing now and how you're impacting the lives of others and what you have going on. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing was, is, a lot of us know what to do. Like I had an idea of what to do. I didn't fully know. Like part of part of my, my journey was figuring out what I really needed to focus on. I thought I did, right? We have these good ideas that feel good in our head and you work on those things, but you never really get the outcome you're seeking. And then yeah. eventually I started getting to the point of I finally could see myself. Like I lost my marriage, lost my family. Business was going horrible. I got out of shape, man. Just all these things went, went crazy. And we was divorced for three years, custody battles, all that craziness, business every two weeks, struggling, not making enough money to even pay the bills and pay payroll or pay myself. And eventually got to the point where I, I figured something out that allowed me to get to the point where I got my marriage back on after, you know, three years divorce. We're now four plus years deep in a remarriage, which is an amazing marriage. I'm in shape. Kids have their father. Business is run smooth. And the real thing was I had to shift into a new level of, of myself, Right. And it's not just this internal, like, I feel better and then start, you know, like, I'm great now. Like, it wasn't that. It's, it's work. And for me, what I'd lost sight of is the fact that, that you have to take actions in the direction you need to go. And if you don't take the actions, you don't get the outcome. The problem is a lot of, there's a lot of things stopping us from taking the proper actions or taking the action consistently. That's yep. really the hindrance between almost everybody's success and lack thereof. It's not, do you know what to do? It's not how smart you are. It's not what you've done in the past. It's what can you do disgustingly with, with discipline and consistency. Yep. And there's a lot of barriers, right? There's a lot of things that come into play of, you know, disorganization. Like I'll have ideas, but I really don't have them clear. 
and what should go first and second and third. And like, I'll go and, you know, buy programs and I'll buy them, but I'll halfway do them. So I'll get like a bunch of half built houses. I'll build this part of this and kind of do some of this. And then I want to get in shape. So I'll get in shape, you know, this next week and I work out for a day or two and then I don't work out like all this stuff. It's just, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. It's all the time. And what yeah. was really the game changer for me was getting to a point where I made this, uh, this, this desired another decision to be great. Right. And, and what yeah. it turned into is I call it like prolific execution. Yep. It's what I do. I, I, if you, if you ever know me or get to know me in time, I can get more done in a day than most people will do in a week. And it's not because I'm better. I'm not smarter than most people. I'm, you know, it's like I'm, I'm you know, I have extra fingers and hands and brains. I just have a different way of how I run my life to where I'm in a ridiculously up-tempo rhythm of my life. And I have this, this ability to do things, the things that would slow most people down, whether it's disorganization or distractions or the, the mental game, not being dialed in and, and extra strong when it needs to be not making the ass, like all these little things, like they, they don't stop me anymore. And I have a system yeah. in place. I use. And so what I do now is when people come and say, Hey, I want to make more money in my business. I want to be you know, happier in my life. I want to be in better shape. These are all things you can all do at the exact same time. Like that's, it's all there, but people think I got to focus on this. And when this is done, then I can go do that. So and how do you, how do you teach someone to focus on all those? Cause I agree with you. I think way too many people yeah. don't understand that they don't know how to time block. They don't know how to use their time. Yeah. And I'm so regimented yeah. with that, but I'd love to hear your feedback of, of, yeah. of you know, how you, teach I use, uh, I use a method called the shift method. It's literally created to shift you into being a prolific executor that, that walks you through essentially three stages. It's a uh, stage one is really get to the point of like working on the mental game, right? It's, it's the C phase, I call it. So it's C shift sustain are my three stages. The C phase is the one where you got to take a look at really what's going on, right? And it's, uh, it's one of those things where most people want to, they want to say they are, but they really aren't, right? And so the, the mental game gets in the way because anytime you have this limiting aspect of a belief, it doesn't even show up where you think it does. It's like you not making the ask or making an excuse not to do that thing or whatever it may be. But like part of you is just, it's apprehensive to push, right? So you got to first figure out like what's going on that you don't even see. Like a lot of people that, that uh, there's like that, what you don't know, you don't know, right? A lot of people just don't even realize it. Don't even lean into it. Second part is having a process to get clarity. And when I say clarity. I mean, what is the thing you got to get done and why? Like not what are a bunch of cool things, right? Like people, most people have like five, six, seven, eight goals. What is the thing that's got to be done now? Maybe the one or two things. And that's it. You focus on the rest of them can wait for a month, wait for two months, wait for three months, wait for a year. Sometimes don't worry about it right now. Right. Clarity. And then once you know what you're going to do, you need to have a process to break that thing down into a deacon, like deconstructed day by day. If you don't know what you're doing for the next 30, 60 or 90 days, you do not have the ability to have success. Like if someone doesn't know when I get up on Monday, uh, three Mondays from now, I'm doing this I'm, and I'm doing this and doing this hour by hour, the, the ability for me to sit back and say, you're going to have it all done is very minuscule. So do so you people, physically time block your calendar out two months in advance? You know, I'm, I'm very oh, regimented I, I, of like all my goals, but I don't necessarily go in and, and time block every single morning, every single afternoon, no, two months. In I advance. don't. No, I do them all before. So part of my process is we actually have a, a PDP, product deconstruction process. I go in and actually unpack whatever product you want done and we stretch it over 90 days. At, at minimum, we're doing 90 days, right? And there's multiple things that'll happen in that time frame. But yeah, we look at it to a T. Like I always know a month from now what my schedule looks like. 
I know 100% what my schedule is going to be in four weeks on Tuesday at three o'clock. I know it. Now, I don't always do all four weeks, right? The beginning, I do four weeks. And then every week, I add a new week. I eat a week. I lead a week. But this is the only way because before that, I have a process where I take all the different things I want to do, break them down to the hours and the steps, and I infuse that into my schedule. It's a whole process I do. But then I can wake up every day in peace. Like, I know what I'm going to do. It's going to get done. It's, I don't have to stress. I can take yeah. it out of my head. It's literally just yeah. all of the day's process, right? And, and do you then leave the big, in blank space for like, you know, if something comes up? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I have, I have windows of space. Actually, I have, I have open windows, but no one gets to touch those. Only I get to touch those. Yeah. I don't, you can't, so if someone's like, hey, can, can I get on your schedule next week? I can look at my calendar and see five open hours, but you can't have those. I'm sorry. Yeah. Those are for my creation. I, I got to keep them for me, right? And we press on. And the last part of it's like, do I have a system to stay in consistent rhythm daily? Because just because on the planner doesn't mean it gets done. Like, that's the thing is most people have a great job of planning, but horrible execution. So when I say prolific execution, it's not even just goals, but it's like, are you executing on date night with your wife? Are you executing on you know spending time sipping tea with your daughter, right? There's things that have got to go in. And these are all, again, all planned and organized for your life, not just your projects for your business, right? Once you start taking action in the right way, and we have a, a process called shift five things you do every day, when you get to those things, they start moving, dude, 90 days later, people are completely different people. They shift into that level of being a prolific executor to the level of people go, how in the hell did you get all that done? And it's like, I don't know. I'm just, that's just who I am now. Yep. That's awesome. You know, I, I really appreciate all that. And I think my audience will get a lot out of this. You know, one thing that I always ask people towards the end of my podcast is, is advice that you'd have for someone in certain positions. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little selfish here on this one because yeah. I see, I see myself and I love, I love learning from you specifically in this episode really means a lot to me. So, you know, what advice would you have someone for someone who's trying to break into the space more that you're in, but I'm going to tailor it towards, you know, myself, honestly, with everything that I've done, what advice would you give me to say, you know, this is where I'm at. This is where the success I've seen, but I want to, I want to be you in a few years. What would you tell me to do? Yeah, the things that I wish I would have done uh, would be to learn, learn the skill set and structure of copywriting. Sounds odd, but it's the copywriting is it's pretty much it's called salesmanship in print, right? Salesmanship in words and copywriting helps in a couple ways. One, it, it teaches your brain how to think with the focus of the person you want to serve. Because I think we know we want to help, but we really if we don't know them and know how to speak to who they are, we struggle to come with the right words that get them to be compelled to work with us. And so when I want to give a speech or I do give a speech, or I want to you know, do a video online. And I want to get someone out of their own way to work with me to actually get this thing solved. It's all a matter of the words I choose to use. So it's big because you, when you learn kind of how people's like brains work and what their focus is and where you can even approach their hearts, it's huge. And then you learn a skill set that could be applied in multiple different areas. So that'd be a big piece because it'll show you like if you have a coaching program or a speech you want to get into the world, if you don't understand, like we can be very, very, very good at what we do. But if you aren't great at getting people to experience what you do, you'll struggle to be successful. So the idea is, how do I get you to get to that point? And part of it, I would say, pick up some books, man. Like just, just pick up a few books and read or listen to audiobooks that are about copywriting. And, and one good one is an old school one, but it's called Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. It's a throwback. It's good, but it's a really, really great foundational book to read when it comes to entering into the world of understanding marketing because it'll help you understand 
how to create a true desired product or service for the people you really want to serve and not actually impact their lives. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. Where can everyone find you online, everything that you've going on? Yeah, if you want to go to yourlifeelevated.com or find me on Instagram at Anthony Trucks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Anthony. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it at all, if you got one thing out of it, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you.